This is episode 43 of Life with Catherine. My guest today is my friend Miranda Gardner, and I was so excited just to even talk to her again. I haven't seen her in a while, but we get into topics such as the environment, uh, sustainability, uh, marathons, climate change. Um, I ask her about the Paris Climate Accord. We talk about all different things from science uh, related to fitness. It was really interesting for me and I'm just so grateful that she shared her time with me and uh, you're on for drinks, Miranda, next time you're in town. Okay, here we go. This is Life with Catherine. Sharing stories from my heart with a smile. And I'll even sing once in a while. Together, we'll learn more about the people who inspire me. Come along, Pond. This is Life with Catherine, episode 43. My guest today is Miranda Gardner. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Nice to talk to you, Catherine. Oh my god, we just had some technical difficulties. I feel very silly. <laughs> I haven't seen you in forever. I, I know. I think it was right before I left Vancouver for my fellowship in Germany was the last time we saw each other. Oh, my God. Fellowship in Germany. That just sounds incredible. <laughs> it was amazing. It was through the Robert Bosch Foundation. The, it's Bosch, as you know it. You know, washers, dryers, dishwashers, and they have oh. a foundation wing. And they invest in a lot of transatlantic relationship building with interns, with young college students, and in my case, with professionals, and, and take them to Germany to look at different areas in the transatlantic conversation. So public policy, law, healthcare, and in my case, a combination of city planning, as well as sustainability, environmental policy work. Oh my God. And what, what, like, you can't summarize it in four words, but what could you take away from, like, what did you take away from it? I love Germany. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 that, 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 I would say that's not fair because my family, my grandmother's family is German. I grew up in Germany when I was a child. My father was a Fulbright professor. I went into college as a German major. So there's always been you know, a love for the country, but going back and being able to work there and have German roommates and really see um, Germany in a whole new light as, as an adult was just such a wonderful experience. Plus, the, the last time I was there, it was the track and field world championships in Berlin, and that's really all I got to see. But the time before that, the wall was still up. So to, to bring my parents back over and have them see Germany 25 years later was just such a powerful experience at the end of my fellowship program. No joke. I already got goosebumps and we're only two minutes in. I was going to say, that wasn't even four words. But. <laughs> <laughs> so um, my listeners may not know who you are. Some of them do. Hi, Nicole and Tom. <laughs> um, so why don't you start with who you are and what you studied and what you do. Like maybe start at the very beginning of... Uh, where you grew up, and what, let's start at the beginning, what interested you as a kid to make you grab your interest and hold on to this real passion you have for who you are today? Uh, great question. I, I, I would have 
to say it started from where I grew up. So I'm a native San Franciscan, born and raised in San Francisco, with, again, the exception of being in Germany and for a while actually being in Iowa when my father got his PhD. Uh, but for the most part, my, my mother's family is there. I have grown up there. I've continually kind of gone back and been there. And as you know, it's an incredibly progressive city. I remember recycling when I was seven years old. I remember, you know, learning about what we needed to do to protect the environment, what it meant for the built world to kind of interact with nature. It was just something that was always a part of our household, a part of the education I grew up in. Again, part of the education that is really emphasized in Germany, what it means to be, you know, communing with nature. So it has always been part of my life. And, and I even have friends, parents who tell me, I remember when you were a kid and you were going to go to architecture school or <laughs> you were going to be part of the, the architecture movement. Uh, so it's great to see you now growing up and, and being engaged with it. Yeah. And, I mean, it's such a ridiculously softball question but the environment is integral to everything and so whatever piece we come at in our lives that we're working from whether it's architecture sustainability everything we do has a direct impact and that is like an understatement team that I coach and this is their altitude training week and to be here and be outside of the city sort of convening with nature it, it's as you said kind of the understatement of the century that this is it this is impactful the the work that we are doing to preserve this kind of an environment and to be able to share it with kids with the next generations and, and keep it in that pristine condition is um what are some movements that are happening in that world, whether it's environmental, sustainability, earth sciences, which are all kind of pieces together? What are some things that, that excite you about what's going on that people are doing, whether North America or worldwide? No, it's true, though. Like, my listeners are not part of your world, per se. Well, some of them are, but are not part of your world. They don't necessarily know what is happening. Like, I know uh, Derek is an architectural technologist, and he went to, like, Mongolia and saw just all the waste thrown all over the place, and he just saw the real-world stuff, and it was something I never even thought about, and the stuff being thrown in the ocean, and I never thought about it. So, yeah, it's kind of softball, but go for it. You can hit a softball. <laughs> now considered to be acceptable 
it's still at the core of what we're feeling towards the new administration. Yeah. And so to see a lot of municipalities, you know, for me being fortunate enough to be from California to San Francisco, you know, at the forefront of this to just make these bold statements that, no, we are sticking with the Paris Climate Accord. No, we are moving forward with our efforts to cut our carbon emissions. We are investing in jobs and job security and new technologies that have to do with renewable energy sources. You know, that is very promising and very hopeful um, moving forward. And it's actually re-engaged a lot of clients and a lot of people that were kind of going about it as status quo thinking, well, it's going to come up eventually because there are national policies in mm-hmm. place for this. Well, now it's not. And someone's and, working and on it. see a lot of corporations really, really picking up the bootstraps and going after it. And, and, and to, to your point about Derek's travel, I do travel a lot. And, and to see, again, the waste generation, to see how other countries do or don't um, engage their environmental conversation is quite the eye-opener when you're, when you're there and visiting them. Just when did the environment, when was that like a debated topic? <laughs> it just seems like when, I, I, when I, is I, it an option? It's not an option. It's not an option. And, and if you look back and, and, you know, people talk about sustainability in the U.S. really coming out in the 70s when oil and gas companies had scientists on staff and had, you know, white papers issues that were talking about what it looks like for carbon emissions and some of it being ignored and some of it being taken account for. Some people really see that as the start of the you know, sustainability front. But you can look back, you know, so much further. You know, again, California is my base and my home. When you when you hear about somebody like John Muir and the work that he did trying to preserve Yosemite, the work that he did when he was talking to President Teddy Roosevelt about, you know, national park systems and what that means going forward for the country because you're in the midst of an industrial revolution at that point and taking advantage of all the natural resources. It goes back so far. And yet, again, especially in the U.S., the economics of it, the bottom line of the buck have always been the driving force in politics. So, no, it shouldn't be a discussion, but it is. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. So what are some uh, interesting things that you've seen when it comes to sustainability? What's something that you go, what? That is so amazing. Something that that sparks your interest and keeps you going. Something, I guess, that's not not related to my field, but it is in one sense. In Germany, they have... In, in certain cities or certain towns, these programs called, and I'm probably going to butcher it, so anyone who's German listening to this, I apologize, Waldeschule, <laughs> and they are Schule. They are, technically, technically what that translates to is wood school or, or forest school where kids pre-K go out and their entire curriculum is in the forest, is in nature. Oh, my gosh. They don't sit in a classroom. <laughs> Right? And that is so exciting. It's like one of those things where you're like, why doesn't this happen for all pre-Kers? That they get to go and, and, you know, learn about the trees and the leaves and the dirt and, you know, what that means to be outdoors all the time, the sunshine and the birds. Um, So for me, that was something really, really moving to learn about in Germany. And I was like, I need to come back 
and I want to raise them doing this yeah, and, talk, and being there. Talk about engaging these kids. I mean, they're, they can look around and it's not a bad thing. <laughs> you kind of want them to look yeah, around. They, 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 they get it. They, you know, it, 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 it's true even for children who, who didn't grow up getting to go to that wonderful program. You know, I see it now in the high schoolers that I work with. Uh, I see it and hear about it in, from stories from friends of mine who are teachers, you know, K through eighth through high school, even in college. It, it, it is ingrained in them that there is a crisis going on in terms of our planet and our home here. So, you know, to hear them talk about it, to hear them ask about it, is always something that excites me going back to, to work. And I'm like, here, here's what I'm doing it for. You know, yes, it's nice that we can make some money while we're doing it. Yes, yeah. it's nice that a building functions amazingly well and that people inside get to experience daylight and great ventilation and air quality and beautiful materials that are sustainably sourced. But for me to feel like these kids have a future and a home on this planet, that's what really gets me up in the morning. Yeah, that's extraordinary. Now, my listeners may not know that Miranda and I worked together. I was the team admin and um, she was on the team and I was so you would be shocked to realize that I was quite shy and like just a little bit um, to myself even though I was still outgoing I still had a little bit of a wall up and this team <laughs> took that wall and went poof see ya <laughs> and all of a sudden I was really really being me and starting to think about all these things and be engaged and I mean you can't help it but um, really starting to show um, my personality and who I am. I forgot where I was going this. <laughs> Sidetracked as usual. But uh, we had a real blast working together. <laughs> we had an amazing time. And, it, and it's wonderful to hear that. I think our, our team was really special. You have a lot of passionate people who got to work together. And that translates in terms of people being able to be themselves and not feeling that they they can't say something or they can't act a certain way or, you know, they can't come in with, you know, funny costumes, dressing as their co work colleagues or anything. <laughs> and, you know, we had, a, we had a very special team. It was wonderful. I remember where I was going with this. So on, I was listening okay. to you. <laughs> but it was the first time I'd always kind of gone to work and come home and help my family, like my daughter, things like that. But it was the first time I'd ever kind of been part of, well, first time I'd been part of a team, but also that on Friday night we'd go for drinks together. And then maybe on Sunday they'd go for a run together. And all of a sudden I was thinking about fitness, not in a way of something where it was, you had to schedule it in a kind of torturous way. It was something you kind of just lived and did. And I never really thought of that. It was something you had to, okay, you go to the gym and then you come home, you pay for it, you do this. But it was the first time I know it's so ridiculous that I'd never really thought about it before. And all of a sudden I became, um, I started running at lunch. I run at lunch two days a week, sometimes one. I do lots of different exercise. I run, I, um, whatever, all kinds of stuff. I'm completely blank, of course, but I, just all of a sudden started realizing, oh, you can use that lunch hour and you can do something with that. And Jamie also helped me with that. But it's just been really an interesting experience in the last five years for me to, to switch everything around and go healthy eating, all these things. And part of that started with you guys and the way you ate, the way you guys 
uh, talk to each other, the way you were healthy and it was just kind of what you did. Sure, you went out and had drinks on an evening, but then you also did the fitness side and it was kind of a balance and a picture for me. So, yeah. Springs. <laughs> actual marathons okay how in the world do you go about getting yourself ready for something like that like I did a five no what did I do a 5k no I did a 10k because it was five there and five back my first ever through mountain equipment co-op I just was like you know what we started running at lunch I was so excited just I'm gonna try this and here's me running along I'm like literally a quarter of the way and this guy's coming back the other way and I'm he's of course first place running back and I'm like oh we must be almost done <laughs> no it's just because he's very very fast and it was a long way but it was my very first taste at um endurance about mental focus of letting go of each breath and just breathing looking at nature and running and letting go of how many more breaths, how many more steps, how much longer, what's next. And it was actually trails and different things. It was quite interesting for me. I'd never had that kind of mental challenge before. I was totally unprepared, but that's okay. But uh, we yeah, will usually do around six kilometers at lunch. So 10 wasn't that far out of my range, but the idea of being outside of your zone. So where, as a person who's very fit, who's able to, has learned from years, where do you start with something like that? Like an actual marathon. Well, I would say there's two points to start for me. One, my father is the head coach of this team that I'm here with and has been a track and field guy, a cross-country guy my entire life, ran at the University of Connecticut, 
uh, has run marathons himself. My sister, who is a very quick runner, qualified for Boston, ran in college at the University of California in San Diego. <laughs> These two are, are super quick and are coaches. So have a fit I family. Doing it to get, <laughs> I just did it to get in shape for other sports. I was that person. So I had a background of it, but one day I went into work and there was a guy sitting across from me who is an avid runner. Uh, this was before I came, came to, to Vancouver and, and to our former team. We're chatting really early one morning, and he said, this race, the Cherry Blossom 10-miler in Washington, D.C., which is right around Cherry Blossom season in D.C., that's where I was living, opens up this morning, and I have to be online right now because otherwise I won't get a race registration. <laughs> I was like, huh, a 10-miler? That seems like a far distance, but maybe I'll sign up for it. And I signed up, and I was like, what? That was, you know, my feeling. What did I do? <laughs> and I was like, I can't do this. And it just kind of went from there. And similarly to our team, we had quite a few people who ran. I have friends of mine from that, that crew that still run, and they remember me telling them, you know, I don't care how slow you go. I just want you to finish this run, or we're going to talk our way through this, or we're going to pick out somebody on this run and kind of, try and stay with them and, and do all these things that were kind of inherent because of my my family's passion and, and coaching and running <laughs> for our entire lives. So it started from there and it kept going and then finally it was like, all right, maybe maybe it's time to bump up to the, the marathon here uh, after a couple of good attempts at a half marathon and then, you know, went after it and have been training ever since. I mean, it is not only a lot of mental prep, it is a lot of sacrifice in terms of your social life, in terms of the time that you're spending out there. So you better have a good playlist. <laughs> no playlist because you're going out each week for first an hour, then in an hour 20, then an hour 45, then two hours, then three hours. I mean, you are stacking mileage on. And in addition to stacking that mileage, you need to make sure you have enough time to sleep so your body recovers that you are then refueling, that you are then, you know, doing yoga to stress all of that out, that maybe, again, you're doing a little bit of weight training or spin class or something to kind of counter all of the running to build your core muscles and even out what's happening with the lateral movement of running and making sure that you're kind of a complete athlete that when you get to, for most of us, four to five to six hours, you know, we're not running a sub-two-hour marathon. Yeah. Um, that your body is able to hang on and really finish finish a distance like that. To be able to, like, even though you want to puke after, maybe, you still, your body physically, <laughs> you physically survived it. I remember one time there was a guy, do you remember Facundo? Mm, I think so. Anyways, yeah. he's a firefighter now. It's so funny because he used to do triathlons and stuff. And I actually stopped him in the hallway. We were talking about fitness. And I go, have you ever tried spinning class? It's really hard. <laughs> and here he's just like, the, he's like a triathlete. All the runners keep saying to me, all the runners who are here, because we, we have a little bit of a fitness center um, where, we, where we are up here in Tahoe. And I was like, there's spin bikes for anyone who doesn't want to do yoga with me. I can take you through spin class because I teach spin class now. And all of the ones who have gone, including the women's head coach who was here with me, were like, no, it's so hard. I can't do a spin class. And it's a different set of muscles. It's a different psyche. It's a different kind of exercise, too. You really need someone who knows what they're doing for your level. It's, it's 
our training for some of the longer distance and running, what's been or, or what's some of the other kind of classes that have a little bit of weight resistance as well as body resistance, your core really gets built. And when you are into your, you know, third hour on a run, your form starts to go. You start to collapse in. You start to feel really weighted down. You know, your shoulders start to do things. Your arms start to do things that you maybe are not aware of and not trained for. And so when you start to incorporate spin or a class like a body pump or, again, PIO, the combo of Pilates yoga <laughs> pieces into your routine, it helps stabilize all those muscles so that, again, in that third to fourth hour or that fifth to sixth hour, you know what, you, you still have that base fitness level that will keep your form intact. And hopefully when you finish, you will not feel injured. You might feel sore. Yes. You know, you know, you're going to need some recovery time, but it's not going to turn you into a runner or, or a triathlete that just breaks down and essentially your body starts doing things that cause Injury. Yeah, that's yeah form, right? That's with anything. Uh-huh. But, uh, when I run at lunch, with, when I run at lunch with Jamie, she, we, she just all of a sudden I was walking, all of a sudden I was jogging, and then all of a sudden I was running one pole, then walking one pole, and then all of a sudden I was running the whole way. But it, she said something to me one day that was really interesting. As a novice runner and trying to get through the mental aspect of it, was um, okay. So we ran. 98% of the time and you walked for 36 seconds. Do you really feel like you couldn't have ran ran that extra 30 seconds? Well, no, I just needed the mental break of being able to stop. And she's like, well, then just slow down and jog that time rather than stopping. But you're as a novice runner, you're so like, when is it stop time? When is it stop time? But really, she was trying to get me through the mental hurdle of no, you don't need to stop, just jog. And then we sometimes will go faster and slower and, you know, sprints and things. And there's always a teeny bit of a walk around the halfway point way down by um, the seawall. And, uh, and, oh, poor me, I'm running on the (laughs) seawall. But, uh, no, it's beautiful. Yeah, we run on the seawall at lunch. Can you believe how gorgeous that is? I I, I love the seawall. I used to... And actually, because we're talking about running, and if you have the time or you can find the time, you should definitely look into Here's Here's my plug for them. Okay. <laughs> is, is if, you, if you engage yourself with a, a local running group, and the, the group that I used to pace lead for, and it was for beginning 5K, 10K, and half marathoners, as well as more advanced runners, depending on where your pace group was, was is a store, uh, they have two stores. Lady Sport out in Kitts and Fit First out in Burnaby. And they do training and running groups. The Fit First one is geared towards everybody, and you get to run around Burnaby Lake. The one at Lady Sport uh, obviously is more focused towards women because it is a women's store, but yeah. there are usually men that join too, which is really a, you know, a nice um, mix up. But we always get to run on the seawall and out at Kitts Beach and out <sighs> at UBC. And it was just, even when it started getting dark in the winter, some of the most beautiful runs. I've ever gotten to go on. If Kenny's listening to this, he'll know we used to run snow runs that were really beautiful. And just um, Vancouver is an amazing city to, to run in. And he's doing really great. I see him all the time. <laughs> is the baby here yet? Nope. One more week. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I think it's one more week. Uh, yeah, I just saw him on, I don't know, Thursday or Friday. And he said, one more week. I'm like, ah. And, of course, now I'm on holidays for three weeks. Uh, so I don't get to see. But I'm sure we'll hear very soon. Oh, man. So, yeah. 
um, one of the problems of living in the suburbs is I literally will just spend my lunch hours running. So I have to focus on something in the suburbs. So I will find the equivalent here. <laughs> it, 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 it's such a, it, you know, it's great to mix it up with other runners because then you start to think about it too in the context of there are people who are slower than me. There are people who are faster than me. We're all exerting the same effort, but, you know, maybe those faster people encourage me to push it a little more. Maybe those slower people need some encouraging from me and I can help them, you know, find their groove too. It, it gives you a lot of perspective on, on your running and it, it feels, at least for me, always very encouraging to be part of that bigger community when you get out with a pack that's yeah. three people and then 20 people and then, you know, you realize, wait, there's 50 of us in this group running and you pass them and there's high fives and there's pizza parties after and you you know the, the people that I used to pace lead with I still find them on Facebook and I still try and um, send them postcards when I'm traveling abroad or oh. reach out to them and tag them on Instagram posts because of other running groups I've involved with so it, it definitely um, is, is worth the time to take a look into that and find one that suits your personality and then suits your training and, and get into it. And you're not just magically doing a marathon. Like, there's a lot of self-reflection. There's a lot of uh, food. There's a lot of health. There's a lot of um, training and focusing muscles. So the only way to start is to start. Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to start. And you also, again, if you find that community, there are going to be people that are, that are wanting to train for that, too. So you have that support system in there with you. All right, guys, we're all going to go out and do a two-hour two run today. And when we finish, we get to enjoy, like, amazing Starbucks or something. <laughs> you know, there's the kind of reward points for cheering each other on. Or, okay, we're going to run out this hour. We're all going to reconvene at the hour. And then we're going to turn around and do this. You know, there's yeah. just it, it, it gives you a lot of motivation as well as somebody that you are now – now, uh, like the other words, <laughs> you have to be there for them. They're Responsible to. You. you know, there's a responsibility you have to your running partners that you can't do that. I mean, that's some of the reason I continue to keep spin. I can't just ditch my workout at 6 a.m. because there's a class of 20 people waiting for me to come teach class. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't I, get... I want to be there for them and, and, you know, help them through their workout, too. And you know why I did TRX, too, right? <laughs> my gosh. I, I keep wanting to do TRX, and I just unfortunately have not found the time yet. But oh. I, it's on my hit list as well as my track and field cross country slash coaching certification that I need to get, as well as my body pump training that I'm going to do this weekend, <laughs> as well as yoga training. I'm a whole list. Catherine. Your to do list. <laughs> well, I survived it, so I think anybody can. Okay. No, I know. That oh, was interesting. Like the idea of, um, I guess for people who don't know, you're basically there's uh, ropes suspended on a wall, and you're using your body weight and uh, different uh, poses, if you want to call it, different exercises um, to sculpt and strengthen different muscles, including doing uh, push-ups with your legs suspended in the air, and it is way harder than it sounds. No, it's just as hard so as it sounds. <laughs> but you can do level one. You can do level two. And then you change the angle. And then you change this. And then you change that. And in no time, I was able to do side push-ups. Let's say two full classes, like two full rounds of the classes. 
I started from not being able to do any side push-ups on the ground to, I mean, I'm not super sculpted awesome girl right now, but the idea of now I was able to push myself up and do, and it was just mental. The mental aspect is what I'm looking for. The challenge of being able to go, I bet I could do this and then actually work towards it and get it, which I never really did before. So it's been interesting for me anyways. No, that's, when you get those breakthroughs and you have those moments and when you can do that stuff, it, it helps encourage you to continue, you know, pushing it and going forward. And it, I think it also touches on something that you uh, mentioned briefly before about how our team was really focused, too, on, on our nutrition. And, you know, I know we had smoothies, and then the next day we would have a waffle. Waffles. Being cognizant, <laughs> being cognizant, though, of, you know, how those different things affect your, your performance in an athletic sense what it means for your sleeping, what it means for your focus at work, you know, being able to uh, understand the the different elements into your diet that are going to help you. Oh, I'm feeling sluggish. Maybe you don't need more coffee. Maybe you need more water because, you know, you did a TRX workout and you haven't really hydrated or you haven't, you know, you've done your four mile (laughs) run and you haven't quite eaten enough protein to to rebuild some of those things. So to, to keep focused and on all of that and then have those breakthroughs and correlate them to, wow, I had a great night of sleep and I was able to do the side push-up. I also ate, I've been eating really well. It all starts to make sense and, and put the big picture together. Yeah, and you don't have to dump junk all over your waffles. Like, you can have normal people food, <laughs> right? Like, there's you don't have to. <laughs> well, we have. You, you, you don't have to dump junk, but they're not the healthiest. No, they're not. <laughs> in, in our diet. But we didn't make a mix. We actually made, well, I would say we, you guys, <laughs> whoever did it. It magically just showed up all the time. <laughs> we've it actually, up, yeah, yeah, we've actually yeah. carried that tradition on. I know your that team did for quite a while, tr- created it on. I don't think they do anymore. But um, my admin team will do uh, Waffle Wednesdays month, once a month, and we'll get everyone together, all the admins, and then also... Uh, facilities and reception and they'll switch each other off and it's just like a, a one hour where you sit once a month and during during work time <laughs> and just bond for a few minutes and just stop and have that waffle and everyone brings something in and we can put strawberries and can whipped cream all that and it's been an amazing amazing thing so it carried over from way way back and somebody mentioned it and I was like we should do that, and it turns out so once a month we all get together, and it's really cool during work time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been really fun. <laughs> I missed that last part. What did you say? <laughs> during work time. <laughs> during work time. But that's okay. That's, that's we all did that. Right? <laughs> no, that's critical to a to a good team and a bonded team because you know then when there's times of stress or times of big deadlines. You know, you can you can think back and you, you feel positive about other stuff and you realize you'll get through the stressful moment. You will, yeah. So, uh, no, it's been really interesting. So, one last thing. Um, you've lived a lot of places. I was flipping through your stuff. I'm like, how did I not know she speaks other languages? How did I not know? <laughs> so, <laughs> what is it like to live? I know what it's, I don't know what it's like to visit New York. What's it like to, you're living there right now, yes? I am splitting my time right now between San Francisco and New York. So for my workforce, it's both here in San Francisco as well as in New York. And and part of my role and part bigger part of my role as I transition will be to help build 
build out our East Coast and New York-based business. And what does your company do? Like, what's their focus? So my company's focus is, is sustainability consulting and really anything that falls under that umbrella. So we have projects that are policy-related on the municipal level, um, Again, primarily in California. Yeah. We have work that has to do with water reuse and black water treatment. So engaging our clients uh, with the right technologies, what it means for their system to look at something like black water or water reuse. We have clients that are engaged in sustainability in all sorts of different departments but don't have a cohesive story. So we are working with them to come up with a climate action plan or a formal sustainability guidance document for their entire organization so that, you know, if you have someone in food services who's doing something great, there is an understanding of what's going on in in HR with social sustainability and them being able to, say, promote health and wellness that's coming from food services. So really connecting the dots for a lot of people. We have some projects going on with clients that do airport work and look at life cycle assessment for an airport, um, procurement of materials or passenger experience. So we really range range all sorts of project types, client types, and, and services that we get to do with them. And that comes from our founding partner who unfortunately passed away earlier this year, but really his vision and his drive for our organization. And it's, it's a small organization, but because of who he was and that passion that he has for this kind of work, it's really encouraging to be on a team like this and, and to be part of a company like this that is just determined to make sure that his his legacy and his life um, held, held through um, going forward and for future generations. And to carry it on, like literally just carry it on to fly into the next, like, oh, that's exciting. Like to- it's very exciting. We do have a, a nonprofit part of our, our work too, so we get to go after grants and and proposals under you know funded research projects. Yeah. And it is being renamed the William J. Worthen Foundation in honor of our, our founding partner and principal. So that's quite amazing. exciting and um, quite fun to see where this will take us in the wake of really a, a horrible tragedy to yeah. not only the sustainability community, but to all of us at the, the company on a personal level. And if they want to read up on him, what's, can you say his name again? His name is uh, Bill Worthen, uh, but the, the, our company is Urban Fabric, but we spell fabric with a CK at the end. Ah. And then the nonprofit is the, right now it's the Urban Fabric Collaborative. Um, but uh, will be renamed the William J. Worthen Foundation. Oh, that's exciting. So I have one, I have a question. Um, you mentioned something way, way back in the beginning, and I made a note. So I watch the news, and things sometimes register, sometimes they don't. I've actually stopped watching it. It's kind of depressing. But um, what exactly is the Paris Climate Accord? <laughs> Shockingly, I don't know. No, no. <laughs> it's not, it's, I'm not laughing at the question. I, it's, it's okay, I can take question. it. I can take it. <laughs> um, so, what was that? It was like two years ago, 2015? No, hang on. 2016? 2015. Sorry, 2015. In the fall of 2015, all the, all the nations 
under the UN framework, uh, came together in Paris with a goal in mind to make sure that we did not go over our greenhouse gas emissions that would, what scientists call, would, would throw us into catastrophic disaster and, and wipe out the human race. So a so collective voice. Sorry? So a collective voice kind of through the UN, if you want to call it? Well, yeah, collective voice, it was, I think it's representative of something like 150, 200 nation parties who were, were in Paris, um, again, late fall, early winter in, in 2015, and they were looking at it to determine how can we mitigate global warming, global climate change. Mm-hmm. And what they were looking at is the, the temperature increases that we have seen over so many years, and that scientists have said if we go over a 2% increase on the globe, it is above pre-industrial levels. It is going to, you know, as we've seen, start causing massive storm problems. It is going to start causing extinction of species, including our own, yeah. uh, wipe out of all sorts of all sorts of things that we hold near and dear in terms of our, our home planet. And so the agreement was that all of these countries signed on to work towards reducing and keeping the global temperature well below that 2% increase, and hopefully trying to keep it below a 1.5% increase. So it's looking at greenhouse gas emissions. It's looking at those changes, and, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, changes to moving towards renewable sources, changes towards how we consume materials and plastic and, and the kind of trash islands that are forming in the oceans, all of these things that will cause really catastrophic problems um, to, to the planet and the human race. Interesting. I'm just taking a moment to absorb that. <sighs> it's a lot, and it's, it's, I would venture to say that for most people, it's hard to wrap your head around what that means and what that means for you as an individual, how you can make an impact. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people, when they, when they hear that or, or start to try and understand that, they essentially block it and feel like what they what they are doing doesn't matter and they're paralyzed in, in trying to find a way to support it, whether that means recycling materials, whether that means you know not purchasing bottled water. Um, small things really can make a big difference, but we all have to do that, and that was actually part of my fellowship paper and, and the final product I talked about after my year in Germany was really there are technologies out there. There are all these systems in place. There are policies out there. There are companies doing these things. But if we don't start to change it in society in understanding our roles on the individual level, it's never going to matter. Yeah. But it's also kind of exciting to know that all it takes is interest. All it takes is action and takes. interest. Absolutely. It is. It, there are so many wonderful things going on in terms of, again, younger generations looking at what they can do with technologies, what they can do with their voices, you know, the science march that was in, excuse me, in the U.S. That was cool. Uh, the, yeah, just, just so many things that are very hopeful Yeah. and are very encouraging that we can do this and, and we can do it together. Now, you're not always serious and... <laughs> 
saving the world like superwoman wonder woman you're also you can laugh so tell me something that's just kind of made you given you enjoyment made you laugh or just something you did recently that just kind of broke all the tension and you know you work hard but what's something you enjoyed whether it was a movie or a show or an experience something you enjoyed like fully enjoyed other than fully talking to me enjoyed. other than talking to me <laughs> um Probably. i feel like i fully enjoy i i fully enjoy my life sometimes i'm a little too tired to fully enjoy my life <laughs> but i fully enjoy my life um i would say the last kind of really piece that i look back at and 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 feel like i was in a really extremely happy place was last year sorry i think that I've all, I always feel like I'm in a good place. No take-backs. When I look back at, because <laughs> it's coming up on the anniversary, and a friend of mine, just, my friend who went with me texted me, is that he and I went surfing in Sri Lanka for a week. And it was just <sighs> really, really fun to meet all these, you know, people who were there. It was, like, families who were there. And it was, you know, a PhD student from the Netherlands and a yoga instructor um, from Sweden and, you know, this guy from Brazil and this woman from here. And here he is, an American friend of mine who lives in the Emirates, coming to meet me. And we just got to bum around and surf. That's and awesome. meet all the local Sri Lankans who helped us, you know, met the, the Aussie guys who ran a hostel where we hung out. And it was, you know, really just such a wonderful and fun experience and made me laugh a lot because we, we definitely had had quite a bit of booze and <laughs> the locals late night um, and, and rode around in like the tuk-tuk, you know, bike, bike cabs and yeah. stuff. Oh my God, that sounds incredible. Well, that's it. Sorry. Thank you for being on the show unless there's something else you want to share. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so glad that I got to chat with you even though hopefully next time it will be in person yeah i know we'll do it don't worry and we can it can be drinks <laughs> there has Wonderful. To be. Good. no it's just thank uh, you Catherine, so much for having me you're welcome it's been really cool and i miss you sometimes and everything is good for me and i'm doing really great i'm really 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 taking care of myself and it's been really cool awesome i love hearing that uh, thank okay you for sharing that with next me. time you're in town I we're going for it. drinks Absolutely. Okay. Bye. Okay. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.